So I can't believe we're already in week five of this uh, series, Happier New Year. And we've really been looking and talking about what it means to experience God-granted happiness in our life. And God talks about it as, as blessing. Uh, we talked earlier on about it. He talks about it. Blessed is the man who, and that translation really for that word blessed is really God-granted happiness. Happy is the man who, happy is the person who walks in his ways. So we all want happiness. We all strive to be happiness, but I think a lot of times we try to take a, the wrong approach uh, towards finding happiness for our lives. In some cases, I believe sometimes we even sabotage uh, our own desire to be happy in some of the ways that we act. One of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor, uh, maybe some of you have experienced this as well, is watching people undermine their own happiness through some of the decisions that they make. And you've all been in this situation probably where you're looking at somebody else's life and you can see it coming. It's kind of like watching a train wreck in slow motion. You know it's going to happen, but there's absolute, you feel like there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop it from happening. So maybe you've experienced this. You see someone who is struggling and they begin to spend too much time isolating themselves and they find themselves at the bar too often or too often with a bottle in their hand and you wonder if things are headed in a really bad direction, but you feel powerless to know how to help. You watch a couple and the way that they treat each other and you begin to think, oh, I don't think that marriage can survive if it keeps on that path. But you feel like there's nothing you can do. Or you see the way that somebody's raising their kids and the way they're treating their family or interacting with their family and you know, you think, I think they're going to have some regrets in a few years or a little bit later on. Then two, one, two, three years down the road, uh, they run into trouble and you sort of saw it coming, and you realize how tragic it is to watch people make choices that are going to destroy their own lives. Now, I want you to think about this. Isn't there enough unavoidable pain in the world without us creating more to pile on top of that pain? Like, when you think about it, isn't there enough going on in the world that's already hard that we don't have to be a part of sabotaging our own happiness in addition to that as well? We're going to have trouble in this life. In fact, it's one of the promises, one of the lesser quoted promises of Jesus for us when he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Most of you don't claim that as your life verse. You don't put it on a card and put it on your mirror. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to have trouble in this life. We don't like to claim that part, but it's true. And we know it's true because most of us experience it. So with all the unavoidable trouble, why in the world would we want to create any more trouble in our lives? And this is what we're going to talk about today. The reason that we often undermine our own happiness is confusion around these two ideas or these two words, pleasure versus happiness. Pleasure versus happiness. But before I get that to that point, I want everybody to do something for me this morning. If you have your cell phone here, would you just take it out for a minute? If you've got a cell phone with you, would you just take it out for a minute? Everybody pull that out. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull it out and just snap a quick selfie of yourself, okay? If you don't know how to do that, ask the person beside you and they'll walk through it with you. So a little button turns it around. It's facing towards you. You can do this together. Go ahead and take a moment. Ladies, don't try to get the... I see it already. Ladies, trying to get their good side of the... This is not about that, all right? No, you don't have to post this. This is just for you today. This is not for any other purpose. I'm not going to have these sent to the screen, none of that. Just snap a quick picture of yourself. All right, that's great. And you can just leave your cell phone out. We're going to get back to that in just a few minutes, okay? So pleasure and happiness. 
And I, tr I, th I think to truly understand what we're trying to get at today, we need to understand the relationship between these two words. And to do that, we're going to revisit a passage that we spent some time in. It was actually the theme verse of our fall series that we had this past fall. And the verse and the passage is John chapter 10, verse 10. And in it, Jesus punctuates his desire for us. Jesus kind of puts an exclamation point on his desire for our life. And he even kind of goes beyond and he says, this is the very reason why I came in this passage. He said, this is the, this is the very reason why I came is that I have this desire for you. And this is the verse, John 10, 10. It says, the thief, Jesus said, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he says this, he said, but I have come. Jesus said, my purpose for coming was so that you could have life and that you could have a full life, life to the full. Jesus came so that we could experience a full and rich and satisfying and abundant life. And for those of you who have experienced that in your life, you say with me, thank you, Jesus, right? Thank you, God. If you've known it, if you've experienced it, if you've tasted the abundant life, you know how good it is and how thankful you are that Jesus came so that we could experience it. And you might remember this from the fall, but we spent some time looking at the word thief in this passage, who Jesus was talking about within the context of this passage. And if you were raised in church, you may be uh, tempted to immediately think that Jesus, saying the thief, Jesus is saying that the thief is who? The devil, Satan, right? Sunday school answer? That's who the thief is. You got it. But Jesus didn't use the word Satan here, and he didn't use the word devil when he was describing the thief. He could have used it in that context, but he didn't use it in that context. Now, the enemy, the devil, certainly could be a part of this equation. But when Jesus said thief, he was actually referring to any person or anything that steps into your life and robs you or takes something from you that God intended to be a part of the abundant life that he planned for you. Jesus is talking about anyone or anything that robs us, takes away from us something that God very intentionally wanted to be a part of our, he desired it for that to be a part of our full and abundant life. That's who the thief is. Something is taken or destroyed in your life that was to be a part of the life that God planned for you. Now, as we unpack this today, it's going to get a little bit tricky, okay, because we're going to go to a place that most of us don't like to visit too much, but it's scriptural truth, and it's God's truth for us, and I don't want you to miss it this morning, so if you could, with me, everybody just breathe and have an open heart to what God wants to say to you today. So I want to start by asking you to consider this question. Who in your life has the greatest capacity or the most potential to steal your future from you, to kill a meaningful relationship in your life, or to destroy your life? When you think about your life, who in your life has the most potential to take something from you that would be good for you in your future? This is the part that we don't like. Because the answer is the same for all of us, and I'd like you to take your phone back out, and I'd like you to press the button and see that beautiful picture that you just took. Because this is the truth. You are the person. <laughs> you. You have more potential to steal from you. You have more potential to kill a relationship in your life or destroy your life than anybody else does. You, in some capacity, are potentially your own thief. And oftentimes we say it this way in our vernacular today, we say something like this, I am my own worst enemy. I'm my own worst enemy. And as you look at that picture this morning, that selfie, 
I want you to think about this truth that Jesus is kind of speaking to us today. I want you to think about it in this context because often you are your own worst enemy and you have done more and you have the capacity to do more to undermine your own happiness than anyone else. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. That's why you all laughed before I even got there and told you to pull out that picture. We're aware. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You undermined your own happiness when, when you bought it, when you leased it, when you ate it, when you drank it, when you smoked it, when you dated it. You began to undermine your own happiness. In the first couple weeks of this series, we touched on the fact that every person in this room this morning, every person has those decisions in our lives that if we look back on them, we can't help but think that we wished we had done them differently. Because from where we sit now, the more we think about it, the more we're able to realize that the things that those decisions stole from us, the things that those, the relationships that those decisions killed, and even the parts of our life that were allowed to be destroyed because some of the decisions that we made, because of this one dumb decision, this one weak moment, maybe it was even more than, than one, maybe it was a pattern of decisions or behavior, and it's okay this morning to just be able to say, I did it to myself. You are the common denominator in every single event of your life. Are you aware of that? You are the common denominator in every single event. And as much as we want to look outward and blame other people for our unhappiness in life, the truth is we are often, often our own worst enemy. All right, that's the end of the message. Everybody have a good day. <laughs> no, we can't end the message there. We can't. We didn't get to the good part yet. Here's a quick story. I remember when I was younger and would see people on TV at football games or other places, and they'd be holding up signs with scripture verses on them. And I can remember one time, and I don't exactly remember where I was, but there was a guy holding a sign that said, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. That was what his sign said. And I remember thinking, even as a kid, that's not the end of that verse. There's more to that verse. Because Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the good news is, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And I remember thinking that that guy with the sign, he forgot the good part. He forgot the happy ending. He forgot the opportunity that you and I have for happiness in life because of Jesus. And if we stop this message right here, with John 10.10, 10, if we stopped at that point, with us being the thief and our lives being destroyed, that's exactly what we would be doing this morning. We'd be missing the best part. We'd be missing the gospel. We'd be missing the good news. Because Jesus came, and he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died on a cross on our behalf, but then he rose from the grave, and he defeated sin, death, and hell on our behalf so that we could find true happiness and that's the end of John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus came so that we might have life. It's why he came, so that we might experience life to the full. Now, the Greek word translated as full here means so much more than what we're able to put into an English word. And that's the way it often happens with Greek, because Greek is a really flowery language. It's a beautiful language, extremely descriptive language. So we're not able to translate this into English and capture the full meaning of it. But if we were, you see it reflected through other translations of Scripture. In some versions, it says abundant life. Other versions, it says a rich and meaningful and satisfying life. And even in another version, it says better than you've ever dreamed of kind of life. The Greek word means a life so full 
that we can't contain it in and of ourselves. So Jesus says, that's the kind of life that I died for you to have. The kind of life where people meet you and they say, wow. After they interact with you, they think, there's just something different about that guy, something different about that girl. It has nothing to do with you being perfect by any means. And what's different isn't that your life has been easy. What's different isn't that you've been given everything that you've ever wanted or that life has dealt you a perfect hand of cards, but that your life is different nonetheless. You've been transformed. And there's something about, even in the pain in your life, something rich and meaningful and abundant that they see. And it starts to overflow out of your person into the lives of others. Now, you might think, wow, that's pretty good. Jesus came so I could have that kind of life. But here's the great part. He's not done yet. He follows this up in verse 11. And in verse 11, right after Jesus came so that we could have life to the full, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. Now, at face value, this verse doesn't seem to pack the same punch, verse 11, that verse 10 did, right? You might ask, what is Jesus even talking about here? And again, we have to go back to the context because Jesus' explanation of why he came so that we could experience this life to the fullest is found right in the middle of this analogy that Jesus is using about him being the good shepherd and us being the sheep. Now, in our culture today, most of us don't know a whole lot about sheep, right? We might go to the farm show once every year or two and, and we experience sheep, but for, for the most part, most of us probably don't have interaction, regular interaction with sheep. So this analogy that Jesus is using maybe kind of gets lost on us, which is why verse 10 seems like a far more powerful verse to most people than verse 11 does. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. That's really nice. Uh, I want that full and abundant and rich and transforming life Jesus was talking about in verse 10. That's really sweet that you're the good shepherd. Like we kind of tag that on the end and think of it that way. But to the first century person who Jesus would have been talking to, this message would have hit home in a big way. And I want you to hear this this morning because shepherds did everything that they could do to make sure that their flock was taken care of. A shepherd did everything that they could possibly do to make sure that their flock was safe, that they got everything they needed, not just to survive. The shepherd made sure they had everything that they needed to survive. And do you know why? Because that community, that shepherd, that community, that group of people were dependent upon those shepherds taking care of their sheep. So Jesus was telling them, and he tells us today, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. How good? So good that he was willing to lay down his life to ensure that you and I have the capacity to live a life that could be so much more. He lays down his life so that we can have an abundant life. Now, this is important this morning, especially if you're new to church or if you're just coming back to church or maybe you've had a bad experience with church. If so, you, you need to understand this. God sent Jesus, his son, into the world to be your good shepherd. And Jesus said that his job was to lay down his life for you. Jesus, as a good shepherd, laid down his life, his life for yours. That's what he did. If someone is willing to lay down their life for you, they are for you. They're for you. 
And this is why it's important for you to know, you may have come in this morning and you not, might not be convinced that God is for you, that God is with you, that he loves you. You might think that God is out there somewhere with an angry look on his face towards me or he's con condemning me because of choices I've made or the way that I live. That's not true according to scripture. Jesus is for you. He said it himself. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. That's not why I came. I came to save the world. And here's what I want to ask you this morning. Who do you think Jesus came to save you from? Yourself. That's the answer. Jesus came to save us from us to save us from our own sinful choices, to save us from our own depravity, to save us from all the times we stiff-arm God and say, uh-uh, God, I don't want you in my life. I got this. I'm in charge, not you. Jesus came to save us from a life of depravity apart from a perfect and holy and loving God. He came to build a bridge. He came to restore. He came to bring us back into relationship with God. So now that we understand this, Jesus is for us. And often we're our own worst enemy to experience the abundant life that God has for us. But it's also important to understand that you're not your only enemy. For those of you who are Christians, you'll probably understand this, but for those of you who are new or you're considering Christianity, when you open the Bible and you look at the New Testament, it's so interesting that the authors of the New Testament personify or give person to this word called sin. They treat sin as if it's an entity, as if it's a power. But the New Testament always points to the same thing when it comes to the impact of sin in our lives, and that's that sin separates. Sin always separates. And I want you to hear this this morning. Sin can take over your life and separate you from everything that makes you happy. It can separate your relationships from your friends and your family. It separates you from yourself and who God really intended you to be. And most importantly, sin separates you from God. But I want you to hear this this morning. For all those reasons, God does not like sin. But this is the big one. Sin always hurts. And that's why God hates sin. Sin always, your sin always hurts you. It always separates you. It always distances you from God, from others, from the, the person God intended you to be. Your sin hurts other people. Other people's sin hurts you. Sin always hurts. God doesn't hate sin because he's perfect and it just bothers him. God hates sin because he loves us, and sin destroys us. Do you understand that? This is why God hates sin. He's not trying to, he's not interested in a bunch of perfect people walking around. He's interested in us understanding that the sin that is in our lives is destroying us and is destroying others. And it's not the life that a loving father planned for us. It's not the life that a good shepherd wants his sheep to live. Some of us can remember times of knowing what the right thing to do was knowing what God would want you to, to do in life. But you gave in to that temptation anyway because sin had so gripped you that you honestly didn't think there was any other way to turn, there was any other thing to do in order to continue to pursue happiness for you. You felt obligated to go after that sin. Some of you here this morning, when you look at that selfie that's on your phone, maybe all you see in that picture is shame and guilt the pain that sin has caused in your life. You look at your picture, or you remember looking in the mirror and thinking, I can't live with myself because of something I said or something I've done. Sin kills. Sin destroys. And right now, I'm going to turn off my mic and let you sit with that while I blow my nose.
thank you for that moment. You know, you can either do that or I can sit here for the next 15 minutes and act like that's not bugging me, but that would then be a distraction for all of you as well. (laughs) So you and I have an enemy when we look in the mirror, but we also have an enemy in the power of sin to entice us into terrible decisions that are going to destroy our lives and undermine what God intended for us. And here's the deal. If something doesn't change in our lives, if we don't really get a hold of this stuff, we're going to continue to live a life where we just undermine our own happiness, trying to figure it out and trying to seek it our way. So we have this decision to make, a decision about who we believe is best to lead us into happiness. That's the decision that every person in this room needs to make. Who do we believe will best lead us into happiness in our lives? And we're going to get to what that decision looks like in just a moment, but I want to kind of lay out what our two options are as we look at John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. And this might kind of help us make the best possible decision, okay? Here's option number one. What, who will lead you into happiness? Number one, uh, we could go with the thief. And the thief, let's say, is you and your sin. So what does the thief offer? Well, the thief offers to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy your life. That's option one. Let's, let's take a look at option two. Option two is Jesus. What does Jesus offer? Well, he offers to be your good shepherd, According to John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, he offers to be your good shepherd. He offers to lay down his life for you. And he offers to give you an abundant, rich, full, satisfying, meaningful life. Now, when you take this at face value, literally the only thing that I would see is going against us choosing Jesus in this analogy that he offers is he compares us to a bunch of dumb sheep, and that might seem a little bit offensive to some of you this morning, right? But here's what I want to ask. We can all probably agree that each of us have made some dumb decisions at some point or another in our life, haven't we? Is there anyone in the room who feels they have never made a dumb decision? Hand up strong. Okay, one or two. (laughs) There's always one or two. You know, as you think about that today, I want you to know, I don't even think that this was the heart of Jesus in this analogy. And this is important because if we just see ourselves as, oh, we're so dumb and we're so forsaken and we just, we need someone who can lead us and keep us from walking right off a cliff in life. I don't think that was the heart of God because this is what I believe that Jesus was driving towards. I think he was driving towards the fact that sheep are notorious followers. Sheep are notorious followers, that they're great at following their shepherd. And the Bible tells us this over and over again, that sheep are so good at following that when they hear the shepherd's voice and they lock into it, they won't respond to any other voice. They learn how to follow one voice, and they know that that one voice is going to lead them to a good, safe pasture, good places, things that will bring them, uh, will prosper them. When the Bible talks about sheep and their trust in the shepherd, it always points to this amazing, committed desire to follow only the voice of their shepherd because they know he's good and because they know they can trust him. They've proved it. He's proved it over and over again as they've experienced walking with him. I think Jesus is driving at this fact that he's calling us to make this decision to follow him towards this path of a happier and more fulfilling life because we've learned to trust the voice of our shepherd. And when we choose the first option, when we choose to be the thief, we choose sin, that is when we become our own worst enemy. 
So I want you to get your little picture back out again, okay? Can you just pull that up for a minute? Just put it in front of you. That beautiful selfie that you took. And I want you to look at it for a moment, and I want you to just think, do I want to follow the good shepherd who laid down his life for me? The good shepherd who said, my life for yours, I'm laying my life down for you so that you can have everything. Or do I want to follow this guy in the picture or this girl in the picture? It's really what the choice comes down to. It comes down to you making a decision. And guys, this is a big picture decision for your life. This is a big decision with trusting, am I going to trust God with my life? But this is a today decision. This is a whatever you're facing right now. Whatever you're in the middle of, am I going to tune in my, my ear to listen to the voice of the good shepherd? Am I going to trust him? Or am I going to choose me and my path to lead towards my own happiness in life? Pleasure or happiness? You know, there's a big part of this dynamic that is true in our lives. And I think one of the questions, if you're not quite with me this morning, or maybe you're here and you're, you're, you're not quite on board, I want to ask you this question, have you think about this. Why do we do the same dumb things over and over again in our lives? Why do we do it? Seriously, we talked about it a minute ago, but everybody can think of dumb things that they've done. And for most of us, it's not just that we did it once, but we went back and did it again, or we fall into the same habit over and over again in the way that we treat people. Why do we do that? I think a big part of this dynamic that's true, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, whether you're religious or you're not religious, I think this is just a people thing. I think it's our confusion about these two words, pleasure and happiness. So here's what I want you to know this morning. Pleasure does not equal happiness. Pleasure does not equal happiness. And the reason I believe these two words get so mixed up is because we confuse the high that we get from pleasure with true happiness. And we just think in our minds, if we can continue to feel that high or experience that high, as much as we're hurting, whatever it is that we run to, if we can just continue to experience that, then maybe that will keep us happy. Because in that moment, we felt something. We felt some level of pleasure that took our mind off of whatever we were weighed down so heavy with. And so we just think, well, if I can keep pursuing that pleasure, then I'll be happy. And while pleasure can and does make us feel good, and actually can be a part of the happiness equation in our lives, those two words are not the same. And that doesn't mean that pleasure is bad. It seems to be a surprise to a lot of people that God actually created pleasure, that he created you and me with the capacity to experience pleasure and happiness. The issue actually comes for us when we confuse pleasure for true happiness and we seek to obtain pleasure on our own terms. I want you to think about this example. God created sexual pleasure. He did. It wasn't a surprise to him at all. God designed it. It wasn't some immoral thing that God said, oh, I don't want people to have sexual pleasure. That wasn't God's intention at all. God designed it. He created it. It was part of his plan. Just towards the end of creation, I believe he kind of smiled at Adam and Eve and said, I have a surprise for you guys. He's good. He created it. He designed it for our pleasure. It's why he invented it. There's no getting around it. You read scripture, there's no way to get around it. God created sexual pleasure. But when we confuse the feeling of sexual pleasure with true happiness that is only available to us in an intimate, committed marriage relationship, 
then we find ourselves neck deep in this circle of lust and pornography and brokenness and pain and hurt relationships because we pursued pleasure outside of God's path to happiness. And we just thought, if I can just feel, if I can just experience, if I can just have more of that, surely that will lead me to a place of being happy. And God says, happiness is a different path. Here's another one. Jesus made wine. He made it right at the beginning of his ministry. Most people considered it his first miracle. I want you to picture this for a minute. It's like his disciples said, all right, we're going to get this ministry going. What do you want to start with? Do you want to heal some people? And Jesus said, nah, let's make wine. The disciples said, are, are you sure you want to start there? Yeah, let's make some wine. His first miracle. That's what he chose to do. Jesus made wine. Here's the point. God created the capacity for pleasure. Just like God created true happiness, he created it. God isn't against pleasure any more than God is against happiness. But we need to understand that it's not an either or. It's a prop, the problem is priority. It's which do we prioritize over the other. Happiness will ultimately lead us to pleasure. In fact, I truly believe this. I truly believe that pursuing what God defines as happiness leads to maximum pleasure in our lives. When we pursue what God defines as happiness, we talked earlier in this series about happiness being a trajectory. When we pursue what God says will lead us to happiness, to blessing in our lives, we'll experience maximum pleasure in this life as well. But here's the inverse of that. If you pursue pleasure and you ignore God's principles that lead to happiness, at the end of the day, you're going to have neither. Eventually, pleasure loses its pleasure. Eventually. Do you know what the law of diminishing returns is? Is anyone familiar with that? This is kind of the way that pleasure works. It works on this principle. It looks like this. You used to take half a glass, and then a whole glass, and then two glasses, then three, then you took a whole bottle, and then two, and now you're yelling at people, and you don't even remember what happened the night before, and you're trapped. What, what happened? Over time, every single pleasure, every single legitimate pleasure over time, it can become our master, and when it becomes priority, it masters us. And then pleasure loses its pleasure. I want you to hear this this morning. What begins as a pastime becomes a pathway. And then it becomes a habit. And then it becomes an addiction. And then oftentimes it becomes a prison. And it might not have started as something immoral, but you continued to seek it out. It might not have started as something illegal, but it eventually led you there. And at the end of the day, all pleasure eventually loses its pleasure. I want you to hear this this morning. God never created or planned for you and I to be prisoners to our sin. He never planned for that. In fact, his death on the cross was to free us from the bondage of our sin. So hear this. If you're here this morning and you're consistently going back to pleasure, if you consistently return to whatever vice it is that has you in prison, you're acting in a way that goes against what Jesus desired for you when he died on the cross. And the Bible has some very open, callous words about that. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit. When you continue to return to the thing that has you entrapped, when you continue to do that, 
you kind of nullify everything that Jesus came to do on your behalf on the cross. So the Apostle Paul, he comes along 25 to 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, and he writes a lot of the letters to the different churches that we have in the New Testament. And what Paul really does is he takes the teachings of Jesus and he contextualizes them to a Gentile audience because Jesus had spoken mostly to Jews. And then Paul comes and he begins to translate it to Gentiles, specifically to the church, to all of us. And so Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome, to Christians in Rome, and he says this, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So what does that mean? Well, Paul is saying, did no one tell you that when you offer yourself to pleasure, you become pleasure's slave? Did no one tell you that? But when you offer yourself in obedience to God, it leads to righteousness or right choices, which leads you to having peace with God. And then peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves and it allows us to be in a place where we have peace with others, and that is what a full life looks like. In other words, he says, if you continue to say yes to the pleasure over and over again, don't you realize that you're becoming a slave to that pleasure? And you might say, well, I'm not a slave. I'm choosing that pleasure. I'm not a slave to it. And Paul says, see, that's my point. Don't you know that if you choose the same thing over and over again, you're no longer choosing it. You're being drawn into it, and you're giving up control. And then you're behaving like a slave. You're behaving as if you have to, not simply that you want to. And those of you who have teenagers who can't get off the video games, all you moms said, amen. <laughs> because it no longer is something that we just want to do. It's something that we have to do. And whenever we become a slave to something, it becomes our master. So Paul's expanding on what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. In this way, he's saying, sin has come to steal and kill and destroy your life. If you keep saying yes to it, keep indulging in it, keep pursuing pleasure for the sake of pleasure, you are going to become a slave to that sin. And sin is not a good master. Sin is not a good boss for any of us to have. None of you want sin to be your master. Jesus' way of saying it, you can follow me because I'm a good shepherd. Paul would say, when you ask Jesus to be your forgiver and the leader of your life, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, when you say yes to God, you have peace with God, you have peace with yourself, and you have peace with others. And that's part of what makes life so rich and so full. And Jesus says, when you decide to follow me as the good shepherd, when you decide to opt for obedience to God, obedience to God is going to pave the way to a full, abundant life. Hear this this morning. Sin separates. Your sin separates. Jesus restores. Jesus restores you, and he brings peace. So here is what I believe that all of this kind of boils down to. If you want to put a bow on it this morning and wrap it up, it's this. If you prioritize happiness over pleasure, you'll have both. Reverse it and you'll have neither. Sin will be your master. My dad likes to tell a story of when my brother Rob and I were little. We were Robbie and Ricky then. I don't even know if the story is true. I don't remember it. Um, but my dad, uh, I take his word for it. 
Um, I think he may have stretched it a little bit. That's it's okay. It makes for a better story. In ministry, we call that being evangelastic. <laughs> yeah. So my dad tells this story. He was away, and my brother and I hadn't behaved very well, and my mom told us, I guess, bedtime to go to our rooms, and that when he got home, he was going to come in and talk to us, and he came in and talked to us, and he really laid into us, I guess, and um, he said before he left the room, now, when I get home tomorrow, I better not hear that you have behaved the same way you did today. I better not hear the same story. And so as my dad tells the story, he left the room and stood outside the door after he closed the door to hear our response in the room, and I guess we were both crying, and uh, after a while, I stopped crying, and my older brother just kept crying and crying. No, I don't know if that's... Anyway, <laughs> so, so um, my dad hears me say to my brother, Robbie, why are you still crying? And my brother said, because I just know I'm going to be bad again tomorrow. <laughs> so here's what I want to ask you this morning. How many of you just know you're going to be bad again tomorrow? Seriously, when you're thinking about making this choice right now, you're thinking about making a choice between trusting Jesus as your good shepherd or continuing to trust in yourself and your own sin, and you think, man, I'd like to trust Jesus, but I've tried to trust Jesus before, and I still end up over here, and I, it just doesn't, I can't stay focused on trusting Jesus, and, and so I'm, I'm in this debate, can I entrust myself to Jesus, or maybe you're experiencing this for the first time, and you're thinking, I don't know, I've never trusted God before, I don't know if he's trustworthy. Listen, just the fact that you don't know or you do know that chances are you're going to be bad again tomorrow, that's proof that you need a good shepherd. You need a good shepherd. You do. And the more that we learn to follow Jesus as our good shepherd, the less that we're a slave to our own sin and the more of his goodness and the more of his blessing and the more of his happiness we experience in our life, the less we want to return to our own sin. It's just true. The more we trust him with, day by day, the more we say, no, I'm not choosing me, I'm choosing you. The more we do that every day. Yeah, this is a big one-time decision in life. Am I gonna trust Jesus? Am I not gonna trust Jesus with my life? But this is an everyday decision with whatever you're facing today. And if you just know, if you just know I'm going to be tempted to pull back to my own sin, to the things that are going to steal and kill and destroy my life, if you know that that's your propensity, that's a great reason to choose the good shepherd. That's a great reason to say, Jesus, I want to choose you. I want to learn to trust you. So more and more, I'm making that decision to trust you. I'm faced with this thing. Uh-uh. I've chosen that before. I know where that path leads. God, I'm choosing you. It's hard. It's, it, it takes a step of faith. It takes a leap of faith, but I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to trust you instead of me. You know, there are a few questions at the bottom of your outline this morning that I'm going to ask you to consider in response to God's word today, in response to his truth. And I just want you to answer these questions yourself, not for anybody else, but please answer them honestly. This is for the sake of your own happiness in life, okay? There's no point in not being honest. This is for the sake of your own happiness. Here are the questions. Is there a pleasure that's undermining your happiness right now? Is there a pleasure that because you're pursuing it, it's separating you from God and from others? Sin's got its grip on you, and it's just undermining your ability to experience God's happiness. Have you prioritized the pursuit of pleasure over the pursuit of God's happiness in your life? Would you bow your heads with me this morning?
I want to encourage you this morning to be honest with yourself, to be honest with God. Is there a pleasure in your life that has begin, begun to undermine your happiness? And do you know if you continue to say yes to that pleasure, that one day you're going to look back and you're going to wonder why you're so unhappy? And you'll discover in that moment, as many of you are discovering right now, that you've become your own worst enemy. That you are, in fact, the sheep who desperately needs a shepherd. And perhaps by God's grace today, you would be willing to trade your pleasure for a good shepherd. That's an exchange that you're never, ever going to regret. Because Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and I'm willing to lay down my life for my sheep. I'm willing to lay down my life for yours so that you can live a happy, rich, full, abundant life. You may want to pray this prayer along with me in your heart this morning. Jesus, I don't want to be my own worst enemy. I don't want to keep going back to the quick fix for pleasure. I'm no longer okay with being imprisoned to the desires and to the sins that trap me in bondage. This morning, Jesus, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you to be my good shepherd and I'm accepting the freedom that you died for me to have. I'm accepting the fact that my freedom was paid for in your blood and I no longer need to be a slave to my sin. I'm gonna follow you, my good shepherd. I'm gonna tune into your voice. I'm gonna hear only your voice, God. I'm gonna listen for it. I'm not gonna follow any other voices, including my own. I'm gonna follow you, my good shepherd. I choose to find real happiness in the abundant life that you are offering me.